just about there with that message. I'm looking forward to preaching it, where it's, it's despised, not prophesying, so I get to preach on how you need to enjoy preaching. And, uh, uh, but that'll have to wait till next week. Actually, next week, we might have a missionary here next week, if I remember right. Uh, I mean, the next week or the week after that. But Matthew 23. Uh, uh, it was a few weeks ago I preached a message from here dealing with the hard things in the Christian life, how we can be great at the easy things, those things on the outside, but we can struggle with the hard things in the Christian life, the things on the inside, the things that really tend to matter. And so I'm going to go back and, 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 and try and be a further help with that. And uh, sometimes our religion can go bad. That's what happened here with the Pharisees. Let me read first, and then let me try and dive into that by way of introduction. Matthew chapter 23, in the very first verse. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their work, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move with them one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, to make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogue, and greetings in the markets, and to be called the men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Astounding that this verse is right here in the Bible in regards to religion, and yet one of the world's largest religions in the name of Christianity called the religious leaders father. Isn't that just astounding? Verse 10. Neither be you called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, I ask for your help and your blessing tonight. Lord, I pray for your mercy, your grace. And Lord, please control what I say and how I say it. I pray your word would be a help. It would strengthen us, Lord, and draw us closer to you. Lord, help us tonight so that our religion doesn't become something that hurts us, but that helps us. So guide tonight, Lord. Uh, help us to learn from your word and to draw closer to you. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this message right here is, is the Lord's last public message. And it was his most scathing of all the messages he had. Many commentators believe that this message here was part of the foundation that led to the thousands getting saved in just a short time at the day of Pentecost because of how uh, the truth that he was giving out or that all those men could relate to. Whether you were a Pharisee, uh, a scribe, a follower of the Pharisees, that was his own group, or just common. But to hear these words, the people knew reign with truth. So it was a scathing message. The religious leaders truly believed that they were close to God. They did. They believed that. But they were not. We can see here how religion can become something bad. Something wrong in how it was used. It can actually be something that pulls you from God instead of close to God. And the danger is this. You don't even know it. 
So when does your religion, when does your faith become something wrong? When does it become something hurting you and hurting others? If I was to put it one statement, this won't quite summarize my message. I'm trying to find one. I would say it like this. It becomes dangerous when your religion becomes your God. It becomes dangerous and hurtful when your religion becomes your God. Instead of God. When religion is not used for the purpose of drawing you close to God, but somehow in our deceived hearts you begin to use it for your own glory or your own selfish desires. It's now entered a place in your heart and your life where it's hurting you. You see, you can still do good, righteous acts, yet you can still be very wrong. Why you do good is important. There are indicators we're going to see in this when all of a sudden your faith is more about you than it is about God. That's becoming dangerous. We want to see today what it looks like when your religion is becoming more about you and it's all of a sudden becoming corrupted in your life. When you're taking something that is designed to draw you closer to God and misuse it. Listen, religion in the purest sense is a good thing. We hear those today make the statement, and I understand the point some are making of it because of how religion can be misused. They say, they'll say things like, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. And it sounds spiritual. Of course, we need that relationship with God, but the religion is to support that relationship. It's not that it's separate from it. Religion is a good thing when it's used Right. And in our text, we get into this group, the Pharisees. So, understanding who these men were is a little bit important in this. There were about, in Christ's day, it's estimated there was around 6,000 of them that were part of this group. A, a whole other group that were the followers of the Pharisees. And we really need to start with the scribes going back to Ezra, the ready scribe. Remember when the, they were coming back uh, to uh, Jerusalem for the rebuilding and taking place. And Ezra was the, was the spiritual leader of that group. He was the ready scribe that would expound upon the Word of God. He was them leading in a spiritual manner to try and, to try and get them out from the, 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 the paganism, the, the mixing of worldly and spiritual and, and doing his best to try and get them closer to God. He was the ready scribe. Many of the Pharisees sort of claimed him sort of as their father. We see the Pharisees coming about and a, a result of this group about well after Ezra. It's around 150 B.C. that we see Pharisees being introduced in this position. They were born out of the scribes. The word itself means separated one. And the Pharisees had great influence with the masses. They were in leadership. What they said mattered. They had influence. 
But these were men who allowed their religion to become corrupted. They didn't even know it. So let's look from our text here to see some signs for us when all of a sudden your religion is becoming corrupted. Verse 2 and 3, let me start there. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and they do not. He is dealing with their hypocrisy, but he deals with here Moses' seat, what they liked. And so the first point I want to draw from this that was true of the Pharisees, and true when all of a sudden your religion can become corrupted in your life, is that they were much more concerned about their authority than they were about being authentic. They were much more worried about power and position than being genuine and real. Christ said they desired to sit in Moses' seat. Now, in the synagogues, they had a special seat, literally called Moses' seat. It stood for a place of authority. That's what it was about. They sat while expounding the law. They would stand to read the law and sit down while they expounded upon the law. And it represented the authority in that synagogue. Whoever sat in that seat of the synagogue was the chief teacher. You were an authority. The word seat here is the word cathedra in Latin. Now, we also get from that, of course, it probably rings a bell to you a little bit if you have a Catholic background, because there's a phrase from that word called ex-cathedra, out of the place of authority. It's when it's used in regards to the Pope, when he is speaking in that manner, it's as if it is God's law. That there, there is no, this, this is God's word being spoken. Why? Because he's in the place of authority. And they were assuming authority here that is not even in Scripture. For what they were doing, there was no scriptural authority for this position given to them. And we can see sometimes that authority can corrupt. We see it in different places in the Old Testament when it took even different, uh, 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 looked in a different manner. Jeremiah's day. The Lord saying, I have not sent these prophets. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesy. They were assuming authority, but it wasn't from God. Jeremiah chapter 27 dives into that. So what they were enjoying wasn't about being authentic and real before the people. It was about the idea of having that power, of having that influence. That's what was grabbing hold of their heart. It wasn't about a, a, a genuineness before God and, and genuinely seeking to, to help people and see them grow in their faith. It was about influence. It was about power all of a sudden. And that's a dangerous place to come to. When you begin to use your faith because you desire some type of authority, your religion is becoming more about you than it is about God. Something is really going wrong with your faith. Your religion is now becoming dangerous to you. And I'm presenting this in a church level, but also, also remember, you can break this down into, your, into a home. You can break this down much more on a personal level of husbands and dads in your home. You are the authority. You have God-given authority in that home. 
But don't make it about the authority. Understand why God gave that authority. Use it from that standpoint instead of just the position of authority. So we see in verses 2 and 3 is that they certainly wanted authority before the people. They wanted that power. They wanted that influence. It wasn't about being authentic. It wasn't about being genuine. Verse 4. It says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. They're making life difficult for them in the name of religion. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And all these, by the way, you always see them referring back to their incredible hypocrisy. But here you can see it was about the governing instead of any grace. More about hardness instead of compassion. It often seems that there are multitudes of those who are obsessed with the hardness of religion. The picture given here is of loading, uh, loading up an animal with a heavy load like a donkey that, that is incredibly difficult to carry. And they certainly did this. They put huge burdens on the people. One of the most powerful ones, and I've, and I've brought this up when I've, when I've preached and taught as we come through the Sabbath day. But let me read some of that stuff when I preach through the Sabbath day about what they did. Really is incredible. Now, what I'm, the portion I'm giving you is added to the Word of God. This is from the Talmud. This is from their, their, their oral traditions passed down. Went into writings about how to handle the Sabbath day. <clears throat> it has, the Talmud itself has 24 full chapters devoted to the Sabbath day. They added thousands of regulations to God's simple command to obey the Sabbath. Here's a list of them. You couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath because you might splash water on the floor and that would mean you just washed the floor. You could write one Hebrew letter, but not two. If your house caught on fire, you could not extinguish it on the Sabbath day. And if you were freezing, you cannot ignite a fire. You could only walk 3,000 feet from your house. There were certain foods that were forbidden to be eaten on the Sabbath day. If you threw something in the air and caught it with your other hand, you just broke the Sabbath. A woman could not pluck a gray hair out. Better get all those out five before six. No jewelry could be worn because it weighed more than a dried fig. And so, it would be a burden. And the list just goes on and on and on of what, in the name of religion, in the name of... You could just see when men were gathering together to try and figure out, well, what breaks the Sabbath? You can almost see their motivation almost behind it, how the devil was getting in on it, and they never even noticed it. It was becoming about the hardness. And they were using righteousness as the means of justification for it. The people could not carry this burden. There were many times, many and I, I preach a message on it, and maybe in a year or two I'll preach it again, how the, the importance of having people over that. 
And Christ dealt with that before the Pharisees when they were challenging him on the Sabbath day. And I gave, and I gave examples out um, in that message. I remember, for instance, one time, the example I give out on the message is this, where you can see where, where at times where people are more important. I was scheduled to preach in Cavian five hours from us in New Guinea. And so me and the family got in the vehicle. We're heading there. Um, I should arrive about one or two hours prior to my scheduled time to preach. And so in plenty of time, I left in plenty of time. But on the way there, there was a vehicle stranded on the side of the road. And so we stopped. And remember, there's very few vehicles on our island. You, you never know when another one's going to come by. And so I stopped, and sure enough, he needed help. And I realized, if I help him, I will miss preaching. But I'm not to forsake the assembly of myself together. But what took priority there? Should I have left him and said, you know what? I'll pray for you. I've got to get to church. What I should do is help him right there in that case. And then tell them, I'll preach tomorrow night for you. We'll get it on the next night. But again, this was becoming about the hardness. There was no grace. The Apostle Paul himself wrote in Romans chapter 7, who was a Pharisee, how the commandment he thought was ordained to life was unto death. You can see the Pharisees' attitude towards people. Hardness. Religion was to be difficult. It's not about how hard the religion is. It's about glorifying God. And during that process, is there hardness involved at times? There is. So be it. But it's not about that. It's not about seeing how difficult you can make it. Verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. We see here, it was about them being monitored and not being meek. What they wanted to be was noticed. That's what they wanted to be. They wanted to be noticed for their religion. Their works were to be seen of men. They wanted men to see it. That was, that was clear if you're a Pharisee. That's something that's clear throughout. They wanted people to notice them. When they prayed what they did, you were going to know how religious they were. It wasn't about between them and God. It was about an appearance of, of a spiritual nature before others. And the Lord, as you can see in His most scathing message, comes down hard on that. Using God for your own pride. There are multitudes who simply want to be noticed. They don't recognize the sin of pride coming into their own heart. And now using a form of religion to act upon that pride. says the Pharisees wore their phylacteries. Now, they would wear them all the time. They're mainly worn during morning prayer. Really, shouldn't have worn at all. Uh, uh, these being worn at all shows a genuine corruption and misinterpretation of the Word of God. The Bible says in four places, two in Exodus and two in Deuteronomy, to bind God's law on your hand and on your forehead between your eyes. All right? It was symbolic of saying the commandments of God are to be the controlling factor in what we think, in our mind, and what we do. 
That's how it was always interpreted until a short time before this. For a good going on 2,000 years, in the Jewish religion, that's how that was interpreted, and that's right. The Pharisees changed that. Once you enter into the silent years, you have your very first record of phylacteries in Judaism, and not until then. The word itself actually means charm. Uh, the word used in paganism, actually. A charm worn to be to rid of evil spirits. Judaism adopted this, especially as the religion was becoming more and more focused on the outward instead of any genuine, authentic relationship with God, which should drive what the outward is. And so this became an expression of how religious they were. So they would wear these, and they still do to this day. I have a description I'm going to quote from a source here. They made them square. They were boxes. All right? They had a basic little box right on their forehead. All right? If you could picture that. And then smaller ones down here by their hand. They made them square and covered them with black leather from clean animal, ceremonial clean animal. And then they connected uh, to them with 12 stitches each, one stitch for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, leather straps by which they could tie one on their forehead and another on their hand. They did, not, they did the... Uh, excuse me, they, they did the left hand because they said it was closer to the heart. Now, in the box, they put four sections of the Mosaic Law. Exodus 13, 1 through 10, Exodus 13, 11 through 16, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. In one of the boxes, they put all those on one piece of parchment. In the other box, they put each one separately on a piece of parchment. And this became the flat, and they would wear them. They would have, have you ever seen a picture of a Pharisee? They actually have a picture of them with it on hand. And so it was a tradition you wore those during morning prayers. Where the Pharisees were even taking something that should have never been placed to begin with. But now they're wearing them all the time. Look how religious we are. Look at me. It became a show in their outward appearance. They wanted to look spiritual. They would enlarge the borders of their garments, dealt with a fringe. White and blue threads. And this dealt with a piousness. You can have many people today, they dress right, have the right standards, but their heart can still be very far from God. Make it about the Lord. When your religion is becoming about the religion itself, you're missing what it's about. <clears throat> I'll finish with this one. 6 through 12. And they loved the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. Put them at equal footing. And call them, call them Father upon the earth. For one is your Father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your Master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he, shall, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. For the Pharisees, it became much more about recognition than reduction. They weren't about humbling themselves 
having meekness. It was about elevation of self. Listen, if you find yourself uh, uh, making your religion your faith about trying to elevate yourself, your religion is now becoming dangerous. It's becoming hurtful. It's like John the Baptist, who's a great example. When John the Baptist in Christ's ministry was beginning, he didn't care one bit. He must increase, I must decrease. Because it was all about him. He didn't care one bit. Christ said they desired the chief seats. They wanted to be recognized as a guest of honor. They would want to be on the platform. It was about the praise of men. I've told the story before, but boy, it fits here. My fa- I don't know if Daniel might remember this. He had been 10, 11 years old, and we were at one of our Bible colleges. And I was at a conference there that week, and at that time, it was... It was well, I'll give the name out. I really don't care anymore. It was Longview Baptist Temple in Texas. And uh, now I've since had a sermon. I will say this before I get into this. I listened to the son who, I, I, in this conference, we, we had shared a few words. But, boy, I listened to him about two or three years ago actually apologize to the church for how he was. It was great. He realized he'd made everything hard and difficult. So, anyhow, we were there, and we went to their chapel service for the Bible college. They had about 100, 120 students, I really don't remember. So we headed to the chapel service, and it was one of the first, maybe the first time in my life, I got nauseated at a chapel service and wanted to throw up and just walk out. It was disgusting. We came in, we didn't have to be there, but my whole family, we sat right in the back row for Rachel's. We came in, sat in the back row, all the Bible college students were right up front, their Bibles were out there, and we were waiting for chapel to start. And so this is how it began. And uh, they had a side door, would have been right here. We're sitting in the very back, and all of a sudden it's time for chapel to start. The door opens. There's four or five men. I, I knew a, a few of them. And they walk out. And they turn and just stood there like this. The place erupted. I mean, they're shouting, standing on the chairs, waving their Bibles. It was absolute worship taking place. I'm just like, my stomach was turning. I'm like, I I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. What are they doing? And and you could just see it in their faces. I mean, they're literally just eating it up. I mean, the chief teachers have arrived. We are the reason for your spiritual growth. I mean, incredible. I just wanted to, uh, it, it was, um, do, you, do you remember that, being in that service? Yeah. It was, it was not just crazy, it was outright sinful. They say, well, you honor unto honor. That's honor. That's not, you don't worship. You don't act like they're God, just like Christ said, you know what? You guys are all brethren. And then we wonder why many why why within that stream of IFB pride seemed to follow everywhere. Where it became about numbers and about recognition. Well, that's what it was based on. Three names here he gives that like to be called Rabbi, Father, and Master. Rabbi means teacher or great one. 
I love that one. You cannot think, in a Jewish culture, you can't think as we think of a teacher today. It was a much elevated position uh, in Jewish culture. We, we can think of it more on a normal, average aspect. Not here. Not, not in this culture. This was a supreme one. A great one. And they wanted this title. They desired to be looked on as the knowledgeable ones. The ones with the insight. And so, now get this. They studied to that end. It wasn't learning to grow closer to God. It was studying so they could be called the great one. They wanted the title. The religion was hurtful. It wasn't helping them. And they didn't even know it. They wanted to be called father. This does not mean your earthly father. It's in context of the Pharisees. They wanted to be father because of the significance in their culture, how they looked at the father as life-giving. They were the ones providing spiritual life. And they wanted to be seen as the one to go to. They also wanted to be called, the third name is master. Here in context, it refers to guide, to leader. They wanted to guide the people to make decisions for them. They were the ones, basically, who knew God's will for your life. I don't know God's will for your life. I don't. But we can see this even where religion is becoming hurtful in our day. When all of a sudden the pastor becomes not just the pastor, but the master. The pastor will decide who you marry and who you won't marry. That happens in our circles. Where it's not just biblical counsel and advice, it's you need my permission. It ties in with that authority. There's always the place where the Bible says, rendering honor unto him, honor is due, as Paul says. But as you can see, this is well beyond that. And one thing that I have learned more and more in ministry that I, that I have to be careful of, you know, just, just through experience and guarding my own heart is this. And, and I'm not sure how right I am on this, but I think I'm on target. A pastor easily offended is likely making it too much about himself. They, in those titles, were actually, as Christ points out, assuming the place that the Lord Jesus Christ deserved in their life as the true great one, the rabbi, as our father, as the true teacher, as our guide. Then he finishes with this, and I'll just do this in closing. I want you to love these last couple of verses. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he, sh- and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, throughout Scripture, God loves 
humility and meekness. He honors it over and over and over again. Humility and meekness. You're to seek meekness, not greatness. It's about making God great, not you great. I remember when I first got here, I had some young men. And, 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 and they weren't evil or wicked sinners or anything like that. And, and I think just misguided based on certain foundations. And they'd come to my office. And they wanted to be great for God. And, and they're going on this for about one, two minutes, how great they want to be for God. And I sat back and, and, and I, I said, fellas, why? Tell me why. And I said, really, think about what I'm asking you right now. Why do you want to be great for God? Because too often it's, it's more about the person. Want to use God to be great, to have a name. Look at how God is using me. An authentic walk, you want how simple it is? It genuinely seeks God. It's about glorifying Him. Genuine religion wants Christ to be the, and I use the definite article, the teacher, the master, the guide. Even as pastors, we're simply under shepherds. And in genuine religion, as has always been true, just like with Christ's example on the earth, it does seek very much to serve others. That's what it does. So, precautionary message here tonight. Be careful you don't let your religion go bad. We all have the same flesh. We do. We have the same struggle flesh. We all struggle with the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. This stuff can creep in. And the danger is, remember, it's like James chapter 1 talks about as well. The Pharisees, we see it here. You don't even know it. You don't even know it. With heads bowed and eyes closed.